Hey everyone! Welcome to Season 8. So excited to be here. Um, this season we are going to be talking about Elixir in regard to other languages and we're going to be having some new co-hosts and hosts on the show. So Owen, welcome. Hey Sandy. You excited for this season? I'm so excited. I'm officially a co-host now and uh, yeah we've already had a couple of conversations and those have been great. Yeah. And we're going to have many more interesting conversations this season and I'm looking forward to it. We're looking forward to more. Yes. For sure. Uh, we're also going to have Dan come on as a co-host. You've heard Dan in the past, and me and Alex are going to be staying on, so that's super exciting. Um, we're saying bon voyage to Eric. Uh, thank you, Eric, for everything you've done for the podcast up until this point, and we're rooting for you on your next adventure. Um, but, yeah, generally just, like, super excited for the future, and um, all the people that we're going to be talking to this season. Owen, is there anyone in particular that you're super excited about that we're going to talk to? I was actually excited to talk to Devin Estes. I'd seen some of his talks early on when I was learning Elixir about testing and just kind of code quality and that kind of stuff. And so that was a was a great conversation. Yeah, so that's coming up. And um, and I'll be talking, I'm so excited that we're going to be talking to Cassie Williams from Remote. Um, been a big fan of hers for a long time. And it'll just be so cool to hear like different talking points from a, maybe a non-traditional non-Elixir view. So this will be fun. Are we ready? Yes, I'm ready. Are you ready? All right, let's get into it. <laughs> um, on a side note, here at SmartLogic, we are hiring for a mid-level Ruby on Rails or Elixir developer, a product designer, and for a staff engineer. Come join our team and enjoy working from home with great benefits, flexible hours, and a work from home stipend, and professional development opportunities. All right, now here's the show. Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Sunday Mint, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Owen Bickford. Hey, Owen. Hey, Sunday. And my producer, Bonnie Lander. Our theme this season is the Elixir in a polyglot environment, where we talk about how Elixir works in other languages. Today, we are joined by super special guest, Miguel Kuba from Shore. Hey, Miguel. Thank you for being here today. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. We're so excited to kick off this season. Just we've been talking about this a lot just in the Elixir community over the last few months about how, yes, we do love Elixir, but how do we reach out to other communities and talk about how much we love Elixir? And we realized we've got to talk to people from other communities too. So can you tell us about what I guess a polyglot environment actually means to you and how you might use Elixir with other languages? Yeah, I think it is a very common thing right now. It is very hard to find a place where you only use one technology because there are strengths in different technologies and companies or startups or any business will try to leverage all those strengths for the benefit of the company. So in this case of technology and programming languages, there are a lot of languages that are very powerful for specific applications. So it's very common when you join a company to find a, a mixture of uh, old tested technologies, new, maybe with some rough edges technologies, but everything, it makes it interesting. So I think that is something that we will find more and more every day. Before we started, uh, you mentioned working a little bit in Ruby lately. So uh, you're really doing polyglot if you're Ruby, Elixir, what else, what other kind of languages are you working in? 
Yeah, I have worked in a lot of things that I like and many that I don't like and I don't work anymore on those. But the things I have worked in the previous uh, job and right now is uh, more with uh, functional programming languages uh, because I like this style of programming, this way of thinking about problems. And now that I have to use uh, uh, Orient programming languages, I feel even more difference in, in paradigms because it's very hard for me to now think about uh, muting or mutating uh, objects or a state and things like that. So it is different. In the previous job, I was doing front-end programming with Elm. Elm is a, a very, not very uh, known programming languages, but it is a, a full functional programming language in the heritage of Haskell. So at the beginning, it's a little hard to understand, but once you get it, it is very cool. It makes you think about solving problems in a very different way that you are used to. And now I am working on the backend, uh, doing uh, APIs and server stuff, and it is very different. It is a slower pace because there are no, the changes are not so fast as in the, in the front end. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to switch because it was super, super fast. And I was, okay, let's hold on a little uh, and now uh, move to, to the backend. And many years ago, I used Ruby, but from Ruby, I jumped to Elixir and I love Elixir. Uh, the way that uh, combines several paradigms from metaprogramming and uh, functional programming, I don't know, pattern matching, things like that. That mixture is very special, very unique, and allows you to express uh, very, I would say, elegantly solutions to problems. So I like that a lot. But yeah, uh, there is a lot of Ruby also. When I have to do things in Ruby, I I like it because it is a, a funny language to work with. It is it is funny to work with Ruby, but it is also sometimes uh, like, why is this happening? Where does those come from? Which part of the code is this defined? So those times are not so easy, but the language is very, very funny. I have heard a lot of descriptions, but not funny. Can you describe <laughs> why it's funny? <laughs> I mean, it is, you can read it. And it is like reading a letter uh, sometimes because of all the uh, domain-specific languages that are created with Ruby. You can read it and say, okay, return if this or do this unless this other thing. So uh, maybe you can read it. Uh, it's not so hard and structured and, I don't know, uh, square. <laughs> But that same flexibility is also a problem when you get to a new project and, and you don't know which libraries they are using. Those libraries are injecting a lot of magic to the code. You see the code and say, okay, I read it. I know, I understand what it's doing, but I don't know why it is doing it. So it is uh, and for people like me that like to know where this is defined or, or where this is done is like why this is happening so it is interesting and this switching between languages as they are uh, very different the vision they have of uh, programming languages is very different this switching uh, between them it is uh, sometimes a little hard because you cannot switch for example uh, for me in the same day i cannot switch from one language to other. Maybe for the next day, okay. But in the same day, you're switching. Okay, I'm going to do one hour of Elixir and then two hours of uh, Ruby. It is hard because it is, okay, let's switch uh, something here. It's a little hard. It's nice. 
Yeah, and we can you can kind of get into a similar situation with I ran into this recently with a, a library that might have leaned a little bit too heavily on macros, where even in Elixir, you know, you can kind of add a bunch of magic with those macros, and then it makes it hard, you know, to find out why things are happening and how they're happening the way they are. But yeah, I've seen a little bit more of that in uh, other languages than than with Elixir. So maybe we jumped real hard, real fast into all the different languages that you're learning. Can you quickly give us a background on where you started programming, how you got into programming, but also maybe like specifically, what was your first language? What was the first language that you learned how to program with? Yeah, my first language was HTML, reading it from a Nintendo magazine, Club Nintendo magazine, that they have uh, every month one section about uh, HTML. And I just read the pages, the text, trying to understand, okay, I like it. And then in high school, I come from a small town in the south of uh, Mexico City that the high school didn't have a computer uh, room or, or lab. So we have very old uh, computers. And when I uh, arrived there, for me was, wow, I have to know how to work with those. So I started uh, looking for uh, information about it. But sadly, there were not so much information. So I found uh, one book about BASIC. And I started reading it because I didn't have a computer at home, only the one in the high school. So I can only use it uh, once or two days per week when uh, I have the classes. And all the week I used to write code in a sheet. And then when I arrived to school, I copied it it and tried to make it work. So that was my, my first language, my real language that I typed in a computer, basic. And basic is very... Are you saying you hand-wrote basic code on a piece of paper yeah, and went, took it to school <laughs> and typed it in? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Did I, it I run? Like, read... was it, like, perfect when you typed it in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were not so many computers in that town, and computers were very expensive at the time. Now it is very easy to get computers in a library or in your phone. Even a cheap phone is very powerful computer but at that time it was not easy and and this town where i grew up it was even harder so it was you have to use any opportunity you have in front of you and for me it was that so yeah i learned reading books that's so fun i always talk about how ridiculous i think it is that i had to take my tests in the computer science classes on physical paper with pencils and stuff but I guess some people do have to do it out of necessity. So, you know, I hope you win awards for that. <laughs> Just commend you for that effort there. I guess so if that was your first experience with it, then when did you kind of think of it as more of a career path? And I guess I feel like when you're learning how to program, you start learning more languages. And that's sort of the idea here is that, you know, in a polyglot environment, you start learning more languages and then that helps you become a better programmer. But the circumstances in which that happens can really shape how that direction goes. So when you were learning multiple languages, were you just learning? Were you in school? Were you at a job? Where were you when that happened? Yeah, I decided to, uh, to follow this uh, career uh, when I had to pick one of the offers that the university had. So I, I, at that time, I liked computer. I said, okay, I'm going to study computer engineering and that's it. But in the university, I don't really learn uh, to program because it was not the focus of the career. Or the, 
computer engineering. Uh, so I learned when I started working. So at the middle of the university courses, I started working and there is where I started learning a lot of things. And by doing, I started learning C, by programming uh, smart card readers and things like that. Just with people that trust in you and give you the opportunity to break things. So that was a, an opportunity for me because I could break things and learn my breaking. So I learned when I started working. And from that, I started uh, learning about all the different things that existed. And I didn't even know that they existed because there were not much uh, information about it at the time. Now, I think it is very good. The offers that people uh, that is starting at this field right now, it's huge. It's amazing. You have courses, uh, you have boot camps, and you have uh, free courses, and you have YouTube, and you have books, uh, printed books, or even friends, or I don't know, maybe in the library you can go and, and learn it. But at that time, it was very hard. But now it's also very hard in, a, in another aspect because anyone can learn. So you have more competition to learn, to get a job, to find, I don't know, your place. Uh, so I think it is, they have different uh, challenges, people that is learning now than the challenge that I had, for example. But at least the offer uh, they have to learn, it is amazing. So I try to contribute a little to that by writing because for me it was hard to find this or to find someone that explained things to me because there were not many people that knew about this in my town. I like to learn to learn and to explain it. So that's why I write a blog a posts or books or whatever because I like to explain at the same time that I am learning something new. Yeah. And, you know, to give context to all of our listeners, Miguel, I think we first saw you on in the Twitter sphere when you were talking about your book, 100 Elixir Tips. So just to jump around here, you said you like writing, you like to give back by writing. How did you get the idea for 100 Elixir Tips? Yeah, it is a project that just occurred to me. One day I was on Twitter and I started to be more active on Twitter. And I also wanted to do more things in Elixir. So I started writing more blog posts about different things in, in Elixir. But then I started to make the like a habit of writing every day something in Twitter to be more active. So I say, what can I do that is not very hard to do, that I can do constantly and doesn't take a lot of time? So I started writing these tips in it and I started writing one every day. When I arrived to the number 50 or 40, somebody said, okay, maybe I can compile this in a book, put it in a PDF and just make it available for someone. And many people uh, started liking it because previously to this, I wrote another book <laughs> about uh, deploying uh, Elixir. I write for me uh, mainly because uh, it is like a reference for future me because I am very bad at memorizing things and remembering things. So I need to write it as a reference for me when I need it again. So that's why I, I write articles. But then I started with topic of deploying and I wrote a book about it, uh, compiling the, the articles that I put on the internet and it was very well received. So I say, okay, maybe I can create another one because I have already done most of the job publishing every day in Twitter. So I uh, collected all the things that I published on Twitter and put it on PDF and that's it. That's why I created it. Are there a couple of standout tips, either tips that you always go back to or tips that you think like people just need to like hear about? 
Not a specific tip. What I like about those tips is that they show how, I don't know how to say it, but how easy it is to write and read Elixir. Uh, it is very, you can write with the functional paradigm very beautiful things. But, uh, you can express solutions to, to things using these paradigms. And Elixir is very uh, comprehensive and you can write in few lines uh, very interesting things, like when you are mapping one list of things into another and you can transform one thing in another, it is uh, very easy to do it. And you can see the cascades in Elixir and looks like, I don't know, like a drop of water that is uh, falling Boom, boom, boom. And at the end, you have a completely another thing. So those tips are small, like snapshots of the things you can do. It's not a full program because obviously a full program is completely different. You have to take care about more things like maybe design, good practices that you are using many other things but this is just to focus on the language and see okay look this is like a, a small snapshot a small light that shines for a second and then you forget it and, and that's it it's just funny <laughs> right i was curious because i saw that you also had a book about it was kind of meta so it was teaching developers how to write was that about writing books or about how to write like tips or it is about uh, writing books, but aimed to developers. Uh, we as developers are very weird pack <laughs> because, I don't know, I think a normal person just open a Google document or a Word document and start writing and that's it. And for us, it's okay, but I maybe something happened to my computer. I need to have a backup or maybe I want to go back to uh, three versions before. We never do that, but we have to do it. I have to put it in, in a version control system. I'm going to put it to GitHub, things like that. So we are that way. So we have to put it in a directory with a certain structure and one folder for the images, one folder for the text, then maybe a make file to process it and transform the images and optimize them and then keep everything under source control. So I wrote this guide because that's the way I, I wrote the books. It is the way I write programs and it is the way I, I write books and I keep it in a version control system. I have some scripts to transform uh, the data and to generate the final uh, product, in this case, the PDF or the EPUB file. So I wrote this guide and this was a, a project that I uh, get uh, inspiration uh, for, uh, with a course that uh, Gumroad uh, published that was called 14 Days Challenge, uh, where they uh, challenge you to publish, put something to sell uh, using their infrastructure in Gumroad. But I followed that, that course and this was my project to sell something. So that was my, uh, what I did, uh, a guide how to, uh, about how to write uh, books if you are a developer. So that's what I, it was my first book. That's so fun. I think I saw something about that. I know some people who are trying to publish for themselves will go through Gumroad. I think I've seen that course before. It's really cool that you took that and you're talking about that now. I'm also really curious, is all of this separate from stuff you're doing at work? This is all just stuff you're doing on your own time, yeah? Yeah, exactly. I have my day job and at nights I write. Uh, I write, I learn things, the things that I find interesting, I write about them, uh, maybe a, a short article. 
But then when I start learning, I see that there are even more than what I learned initially. So, that, okay, maybe I should write a second article or a third article. Then I, that uh, initial blog post, now it is a series of blog post. So for example, for the deployment in Elixir, I just wanted to do a guide to deploy using Elixir. But then I ended with eight articles, one for fly.io, one for render, one for uh, Elixir, one for uh, Heroku and, and a lot of things. So that's how it started and how it ended. So sometimes you cannot stop and you just keep going and see what happens. I think that's what we call that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what kind of projects, if you can speak to it, are you working on at Shore that might use Elixir alongside other languages? I am writing the, uh, my third book about Elixir right now. It is the second part of uh, deploying Elixir, but it is, and this is for advanced topics uh, because uh, almost one, uh, 1,600 people download the book. And a lot of people wrote me uh, with the feedback uh, about it. And many people say, oh, have you think about writing about Kubernetes or uh, deploying to bare metal and maybe a VPS or, or I don't know, a lot of topics. I said, no, yeah, I, I thought about it, but I haven't time to, to write it. So maybe I can put it that in a second part. So as more people come and give me feedback, I say, okay, maybe there is enough material to, to do a second a second part. So I am writing this uh, second part of uh, deploying Elixir with these advanced topics that are not uh, considered in the previous one. And in this, I will write about Azure or AWS or bare metal uh, installs or Kubernetes or things like that. So that's why yeah, I'm doing uh, right now. Cool. I mean, there's so many projects. <laughs> yeah. You're like just like a content creation machine right now. And that's just yeah, like making it, me tired a little bit. It is a lot. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it is uh, fulfilling. I don't complain. I like it. I write for people that is learning as me. I am learning all the time. I don't consider myself an expert in anything. It is very hard or for me to say something like that. So hugely that that word is very scary for me to say, I am an expert. But I am learning all the time and I write what I learn. And I like to write it in a way that if it was me, uh, the one reading it for the first time, I could learn it in the way I like it. So... What I find fulfilling is that a lot of people find it useful the way that I write it, and they don't expect that I am an expert. They just want to learn something new. There is always people learning things. So if I can help them to learn Elixir, for me, that is perfect. I don't need more than that. There are, of course, a lot of books for advanced topics. I don't know, metaprogramming or internals of the or compiler creation yeah, I will never do something like that. I am not that kind of Never person. say never. <laughs> no, no, but uh, it's, not, uh, it's not my goal. I write for people that it is on the same stage uh, of learning as me. So I think that there is enough people in that stage to be always providing information and material for them. So that's my goal. So tying together this kind of learning process with the polyglot environment that we're kind of thinking about the season. You talked about deploying Elixir and Kubernetes and some of these kind of more advanced infrastructures. For someone coming from like a kind of a primarily Elixir Phoenix 
type of non-polyglot environment, what are some of the surprises you might discover when you're deploying to Kubernetes where you're probably connecting to other services and other languages? I think it is very different how you deploy when you are creating a small application or monoliths that when you do this jump to the microservices or, or the cloud or things like that because, because it is not easy anymore. You have to consider a lot of things and you also have to program how the infrastructure it is. And that is something that nobody tells you before. You just say, okay, I'm going to compile the project and that's it. Or I'm going to uh, start the server in port 8080 and that's it. And when you go to a, a company that does all this orchestration and Kubernetes and AWS and continuous deployment is completely another league. A lot of scripts everywhere and a lot of checks before going to production. A lot of languages that work differently. Their deployment process is different. For example, for Ruby, it is very heavy to create the deployment uh, bundle compared, for example, for uh, to Elixir. You have very big bundles for Ruby and very slim bundles for Elixir. That influences the startup times, for example, and you never Think about it. Okay, yeah, it's going to start. Yeah, but when you are in production with some system that cannot be down more than a few seconds, those seconds matter. So the faster something starts or boots up in production is better, but you never think about it. So you start comparing these additional features of the language or products of the language decisions when you use them in this kind of production scenarios that you don't see normally when you are programming on your laptop or your PC. So it is interesting to compare how the language features reflect in a production environment when you mix things that are, for example, compiled or interpreted or, I don't know, for example, we have right now a Python, we have a Ruby, we have Elm. Elixir and all those have very different processes to deploy the production and, and it is you have to jump between one on the other to to have the full uh, system uh, working in production. Yeah, so that is everything you just said. Just reminded me that like a lot of people get into Elixir really do just kind of jump in and they use Elixir and Phoenix and that's sort of out of the box. What are some interesting combinations? Like, do you like Elixir backend with Elm frontend, or, or are there kind of combinations out there that you really enjoy working with that you think work well together that maybe we wouldn't have thought of? I like Elm in the front end and Elixir in the back end. Uh, I, for me personally, for my side projects, I use that because I think it is a, a very good combination. You have in the front end the warranties that the compiler, the Elm compiler, uh, gives to you, and you can be sure that the code is going to behave very well without any exception or unhandled error. And in the backend, I think Elixir gives you a very fast way to create APIs. And also there are a lot of libraries to do almost anything, to do GraphQL APIs, to connect to services for monitoring, for error logging, for, I don't know, connect to AWS, to storage, to uh, process maybe in the background some videos, some images, some anything. So the landscape libraries are very mature uh, right now in Elixir. So you can do almost anything without the need to include additional technology. So if you are programming something by yourself or in a small team, 
you can just rely on Elixir and you can get maybe 80-90% of what you need to go to production and start earning money with your idea, with your startup. You can later add maybe some specialized tools, other languages for things that Elixir is not, I don't know, aimed to that or to solve that. But you can go very far using Elixir in the back end and in the front end using Elm. There is now, React is king right now in, in the front end, but Personally, I don't like it. Uh, it's too much technologies. Uh, you cannot use it just, okay, I'm going to start with React. Yeah, you need 20 things just to start something with React. So. Is it and too we, early in the season to start ragging on JavaScript, Owen? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, I personally, uh, I, I prefer to do it in, in Elm. I know that it's not perfect. It has, uh, lacks many things, but for me, as for my side projects, I can do Everything I need, just using Elm in the front end and just using Elixir in the back end, and I like it. In the day job, in my day job, I use more things, but as I said, switching between the paradigms in object-oriented languages and functional programming languages is hard for me to do it in the same day. So I try to do one or two days just uh, to focus on Elixir and then the other days in, in Rails or whatever, and not switch uh, too much. Yeah, that was a follow-up question I had. So if you're working in multiple languages out in your day job, would you maybe split up the work? Like you're saying you do some language one or two days and then you switch languages or does somebody on your team, like do you only do Elixir or someone else on your team only does Elm, like for example, or do, does everyone do everything? We are mainly specializing in things that we like the most. We try to that people work in the things that they like because they are more productive or, or they feel better and that's good for the person itself and for the team. But yeah, sometimes there is no other option than just jump and, and do, okay, there is something we need to do and I know how to do it. Okay, I'm going to do it even if it's not what I do every day. So uh, sometimes I have to go to Rails, I have to go to Elm, some React. Yeah, but I try to keep uh, myself in the things I like the most. So for me, this last uh, couple of years is Elixir. If I can be in Elixir 100% of the time, for me, it's, it's the best. But I can switch to the other if it's needed. Context switching is hard. <laughs> Even within an app, like when you know and kind of understand like the thing you're working on and then you need to like, think about a different part of the app, you know, it's a big app, you know, even within Elixir, within a single language, it can be a lot to kind of switch out of. But I'm kind of curious how, if you're in a polyglot environment, say either because Elixir isn't the strongest in a particular use case or because of other reasons, you know, at the end of the day, if you have to use Elixir with multiple other backend languages, what are some examples of how those applications talk to each other? Like how do they sync up with data and that kind of thing? No, not for specific applications, but if what you are solving has a lot of concurrency, Elixir is very good at it. Uh, it is very easy to create process to do something like in the background or asynchronously that is not so easy to do in other languages. For example, in Java, Java is very hard to create processes and monitor them just to check if they have finished uh, what they have to do. You have to write lines and lines and lines just to spawn a separate process. And in Elixir, it's very easy, just like wishing and it appears. Uh, it is 
done and you can check the result or you can just monitor if something happened to that process. In Ruby is kind of solved with this, uh, I don't know, a, a psychic or, or Hodge or, or something like that, but but it's not part of the language. The language is uh, single-threaded and was not really made for this. But Elixir was made for this, so it is super easy to solve these kind of problems that you need to delegate to a separate process the job and the workload, and then you get a notification or when it is done. So it is very easy. So if you have a problem that have this kind of uh, particularities, Elixir is a, a strong solution for uh, a strong option to fix it. So that's it. I guess that if you are solving some mathematical problem, maybe Python is better or C if you are interacting a lot with hardware, but I try to also avoid that kind of companies and problems because it's not something that I like a lot. At least uh, what uh, I try to find is companies that use Elixir to solve these kind of things, or Elm to solve this, this kind of problem. So I would say that it is best, Elixir is best for this kind of problem that had a lot of concurrency or that you can split in parallel tasks that you can monitor for the result you want. I think for like the communication piece, I think I'm kind of thinking of like REST APIs, GraphQL, you know, let's say if you needed to send data from Python to Elixir, you know, you can do that with APIs, RPC, or you can just, you know, use your database as a way to synchronize between different applications. And you're talking about native languages like C. With Elixir, we have uh, NIFs and tools like that. So if if there's something that you really do need to do with another language, then, yeah, we've got a handful of tools, and I'm probably forgetting a couple that uh, will help you kind of yeah, correct. interface with other languages when you need to. Correct. So when you're hiring people or you're looking into working with different people on side projects, is there anything you look for in particular in terms of like languages that they've worked in before or are you just looking for somebody who's good at learning? I know we talk about this a lot from different kind of point of views in the on Elixir Wizards, but in particular, multi-language environments is something I'm curious about in terms of hiring. I have always thought that the best thing to look for in a colleague that you are trying to get into your team is the attitude, not the technical knowledge or the technical chops or skills or whatever, because the technical things, you can learn it. You just give, give this person time and it will learn whatever it is. We always are learning new things by yourself or in a course, in a YouTube course, whatever. We can learn it. But the attitude, you cannot change it. So... For me, the most important thing is a person. If it is eager to learn, if it is a person that gets uh, along with the team, that it is, uh, I don't know, that can learn from the others and teach to the others, I think that's the best thing. Because if you cannot give feedback about technical things to the other people, you you are not going to go far with that person. If you cannot say, hey, maybe we should change this because of this reason this person takes that maybe personally because it is my code i am i am the best and uh, this is uh, you don't know you know nothing uh, john snow or things like that it's hard to have a good team communication for me i don't care much about what they know or where they have worked or if they are the experts or in this or that what i like is that they are eager to learn new things because we are learning 
all the time. Even if you have worked in a super big project and you switch to a, a different company, it is completely new. You are going to learn a lot of things there. So I think that's the best thing. And the language, they will learn what is needed. Frameworks, libraries, uh, processes, uh, workflows, they will learn it in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. They will learn it. After that, the person remains there. And if the person doesn't get along with the team, it's going to be, it's not going to be a good thing. Yeah, totally agree. And then that also kind of reminds me about something that we talked about a little bit last season is if somebody comes in and they are, maybe they haven't worked in Elixir before, but they're learning Elixir, or maybe they already know Elixir and now they're learning Ruby. Do you see any kind of similarities across different languages where knowing Elixir has changed a particular way that you approach a problem or a project? That happens very often when you you see people programming in a new language still with the old language techniques or good practices. And that can be good or bad depending on where you come or where are you going from. Maybe if you... I don't know. I don't want to say languages because it's not fight of languages. But if the code you are writing it is expressive for the other programmers, for the other developers, I think that is the best. Even if it's not optimized, it's not the best. I don't know. It's not O N or one or log N or whatever. Doesn't matter. You can optimize that later when you see that it is having really performance issues. But for me, the most important thing when you are programming is that the code is readable for the other developers. You see that it's, uh, it can be optimized, you will optimize it, but doesn't matter right now. You need to write code that is uh, good to understand. So if in your previous language, you already write code this way that is expressive, you will write it in the new language also in a way that is expressive in a couple of weeks or months, you will learn the, the practices in this specific project, and then it will converge to the team, to the good practices. So I don't think uh, in the long term it matters too much, but the thing that matters is that the code is uh, readable for other people. Yeah, I echo that. Like, I think a lot of lessons I learned from Elixir, they come from Ruby in some ways, just from the kind of legacy of, you know, the creator and everything. But yeah, like understanding that like longer function names, variable names are actually useful more often than not and trying to make it readable so that I can understand it in six months or that, you know, someone else on the team can understand it, you know, the next day or in a year or two, you know, that's all important regardless of the particular language or programming paradigm that you're working in. Yeah, exactly. That's a better because most of the time we're reading code, not writing code. So it's better to understand it when you read it that uh, when you try to write it in a very clever way that you are not going to understand in two weeks or two months. Now, I'm curious, we've kind of circled around this. You work at Shore. I'm kind of curious, what's the role of Elixir there? And is it a polyglot environment? Yeah, a very polyglot environment. Shore is a company that does a software for small businesses. Uh, it has been uh, for several years on the market. So uh, over time has been uh, accumulating several technologies, uh, technologies that uh, were famous at some point. Now they are not so famous. 
So we have a lot of technologies. We are trying now to converge to Elixir and React because those are the technologies that we see the, the most potential in the near future. But currently we have Python, we have uh, Rails, we have uh, Elm, we have uh, React and Elixir, and also some we are using Mongo, we are using Postgres, so it is a lot of things that you have to grasp just to fix or to add a new features, okay? In this case, uh, we are going to touch this uh, old project that is in Python, and I'm going to interact with this other project that is in uh, Rails, and the new one is in Elixir. So we switch a lot of technologies just to create one new feature. But the idea is to converge to Elixir and, and React, because uh, for us, that's the future. So another thing that I'm also curious about while we have you is you mentioned that, you know, you're trying to be more active on Twitter to kind of reach out, to be engaged in the community. Do you have a particular goal there? Is that to to engage in the community specifically or to like learn more? Yeah, uh, the first thing is I, I want to learn more and to share the knowledge or what I learned with the community. But yeah, in the long term, my plan, my ideal dream will be to not work anymore programming. Uh, it is, as the years pass, I think, okay, maybe I should do another thing. Maybe I should be a carpenter and do just chairs and, and, and things like that because, I don't know, you kind of get uh, bored of computers. I love them, but it is too much. It's too much changing every day, and I am not so young <laughs> and so my capacity to learn is uh, severely uh, <laughs> diminished so i would like to at some point just to live doing content for people maybe learning maybe even doing videos about programming maybe writing more books about the technologies that i like and i will write to put and if i could live from that that would be great so with that goal in mind, I start to say, okay, maybe I will, I should start a community that can be uh, my audience for this project. Obviously, uh, here there is always this thing, okay, he's going to sell us something. It's not so, yeah, you know, but yeah, but we have to eat. If I work in my day job, I do it. I am doing it. Because I yacht's not going to pay I, for itself, right? Exactly. My, my family <laughs> needs to eat. Uh, we need clothes. We need to pay the rent, bills, something like that. So, yeah, maybe we don't uh, think about it every day, but at the end, we need money. So it's not that I am trying to extract all the money uh, that you have right now and uh, give me, give me, give me. But maybe uh, I will do nine times for free, uh, nine things for free, and one is pay something because... That is, I need to eat. So I follow many people in, on Twitter that is making a living just creating content. I don't want to be an influencer or YouTuber or something, but many people can do it. So for me, it's okay. I want that too. So I want to do it with something that I like. I like programming. I like to teach. I like to learn and teach what I am learning. So if I could at some point make a living doing that, that would be great. So. That's why I started being more active in, in Twitter, because at some point I would like to do that if it's possible. If it's not possible, well, at least I try it. But, but yeah, that is the end goal. Awesome. So before we sort of start to wrap up here, 
you mentioned earlier about missing types. And so I'm curious, what are things that you love from other languages that you're missing from Elixir or vice versa? <laughs> uh, Elixir uh, is a dynamic. It has types that are uh, checked on compile time, but not on writing time. So they are uh, checked on runtime, but not on compile time. So you can compile the project and it will be okay. And when you run it, ah, blows and breaks and, and something happens. Say, Why? And Elix Elm, for example, since you are compiling, the compiler is very helpful telling you, okay, here you are trying to pass this and it's not going to work because this is expecting maybe an integer or a string and it is very helpful, but not just in the sense of uh, it is complaining, hey, this is not going to compile, fix it. It is very academic or uh, like a teacher telling you, okay, this is going to fail because of this. You can fix it this way. And that is a, a way of learning the language. So when you have a program in Elm that compiles, it works. And it's amazing. Uh, I know that a lot of people have mentioned this a lot of times, but it really is amazing just to see a wrong it's amazing because you not uh, didn't even open the browser and when you open it the first time it works and it's wow it's like magic because the language is very strong in checking that kind of things and elixir is not that way it is more uh, relaxed it's more uh, flexible you can pass a symbol uh, instead of a, a string and it's not going to tell you nothing on, until you try to to run it and then it's failing because it's not finding that uh, symbol uh, because there is a string there. So those are some of the things that I miss in Elixir when I am not working on Elm because I like that a lot from Elm. What I like from Elm is other things that it has, like this uh, concurrency or the virtual machine or, or the message passing style that it has. But that is one thing that I like a lot from other languages that Elixir, for example, misses or, or, or lacks. So that's uh, one thing. The other is maybe that it is very, the metaprogramming is not so clear to understand or too easy to understand. Not many people use metaprogramming, even if it is one of the pillars of the language. Not many people use it because it is hard to use metaprogramming to do everyday tasks. So it is something that only the advanced people use. And it's like, okay, for me, I have never used it or well, I have used, but other developers have created the, the macros or, but I have never created one. For me, it's something that is, okay, someday I'm going to learn this, but for me, it's okay. It's another level, it's the next level, so. Wow, and when you were talking about the compiling the string versus character thing, just reminded me of every time in Elixir I've tried to do something and it wouldn't let me because if it was an emoji that was like, I just want to use my emojis. Just let me do it. <laughs> All right. So this was super awesome. Thank you, Miguel, for again, coming on and kicking us off into our polyglot season. Do you have any final plugs or asks for the audience anywhere on social media where people can find you? Yeah, I am uh, very active. Well, this last month uh, was not very active. I was very worried, but uh, normally very active in Twitter. And I have my blog on Hashnode. It is, uh, if you are starting uh, writing, I recommend 100% Hashnode. It is a very amazing platform to write. And I use it for writing all my articles and you can save those to GitHub. And from there you can make 
uh, whatever you want, like creating books. So you can do that. And yeah, if you like Elixir, uh, there is a lot of new exciting things in, in Elixir, like uh, LightView. Uh, that is one of the things I have in my to-do list. Uh, it looks super interesting what they are doing with uh, LightView. I have not yet had the opportunity to learn it, but I want. Uh, so far, I have been uh, focusing on the deployment and telemetry things on Elixir. And if you are interested uh, in that, you can get uh, free books in, in my homepage. You can get and maybe learn something the same as I learned them. And yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And everyone listening, please check out Miguel's content, his blog, all the Twitter stuff. It's just so good. So much out there to learn. Great. So that is it for our first episode of season eight of Elixir Wizards. Thank you so much to our guest, Miguel Gubav, for joining us today. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic production. Today's hosts include myself, Sandy Mian, and my co-host, Owen Bickford. Our producer is Bonnie Lander, and our executive producer is Rose Burke. Here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software. We're always looking to take on new projects. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. If you need a piece of custom software built, hit us up. If you're enjoying Elixir Wizards, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review on your podcast service. Your reviews help us reach new audiences and grow our families. Follow at SmartLogic on Twitter for news and episode announcements. You can also join us on the Elixir Wizards Discord. Just head on over to the podcast page to find the link. And don't forget to join us next week for more on Elixir in a polyglot environment.